This is a podcast about answering one question. Are you on a journey that matters enough to you? To answer this question, you're going to need to dive right into your middles. I'm obsessed with middles. I've come to think that middles deserve another look. To ensure that you are on a journey that matters enough to you, buckle into that middle seat and let's go on this adventure together. Hashtag welcome aboard. All right, everyone, welcome to today's podcast. We have a treat for you. The one, the only Courtney Webb is joining us on the show today. Courtney is an entrepreneur. She's an athlete. She's a broadcast journalist and, of course, a model. Courtney graduated in broadcast journalism from Baylor University. She's been modeling since the age of 13. And she's worked in retail. She's worked in freelance writing. You name it, she's done it. Let's start at the top here. So Courtney, retail-wise, worked at Lululemon as a key leader, a social media guru, and a run coach. Uh, Then she jumped into digital marketing and e-commerce consulting. Uh, Her first stop on that train was at T. Walker, which was a retail startup. She did freelance writing, primarily fitness and health editorial writing for Gotham Bandit, and then went on to become a co-founder of Mix Fitness. Mix Fitness is a fitness platform that streams live workouts directly to your home gym. And then currently, Courtney has become a TV program host for QVC. And she's been doing that for about two years, and she's in love with it. She will tell you all about it. And she's also training for the 2022 Olympic Games in the Skeleton. What doesn't Courtney do? That is the big question. What doesn't she do? Courtney, welcome, welcome to the show. Here's the golden question here that we always start with on the podcast, which is, are you on a journey that matters enough to you? That's our golden question. And my question to you is, what does that mean to you? Well, initially what it means to me is, does it bring me joy? You hear that a lot lately. I think, you know, there's, it's been coined by a couple of people, but I mean, it's really true. It's, does it bring me joy? And I think for me, the joy isn't necessarily from the success on its own. It's did it build relationships with my friends, my family, was my faith built? It really helps me to understand whether or not I'm aligned with my values. And that's how I know if my career or the choices that I'm making are actually something that matters to me. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, Kind of what you're describing is something we do talk about in our community often, which is the distinction between the intrinsic experience and the intrinsic value of something versus the extrinsic value of something, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going, okay, well, yeah, it could bring me joy. I could show you what I've accomplished. But for you, you're going, but intrinsically, yeah, my family, my faith, my friends, they bring me intrinsic rewards or intrinsic value that I wouldn't get any other way. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And I think also those values can make the success of whatever career or whatever movement you're making Uh more valuable. Like that, like being able to help my family or being able to learn that I progressed through a struggle that was really wearing on me in my faith because of the steps I took in my career just reminds me that I need all of this for me Mm -hmm. to have joy, for me to be excited and for me to actually progress and move forward. Makes total sense, right? And so we'll talk a little bit more in a bit about just the intrinsic value of things versus the extrinsic value of things, especially as we go through your journey, because you have so much extrinsic to be super proud of, right? And I know that the intrinsic has been a huge propeller 
mm-hmm. um, and maybe a grounding as you've gone through different pieces of your journey. So if I'm getting this, you're asking, does it bring you joy? Um, and then I know we talked about just, does it matter to you? Cause everything matters, but how do you measure? Does it matter enough? And you're saying, well, I, I check kind of my intrinsic values, you know, mm-hmm. and you're saying, well, my family, friends, they're number one, my faith, but then number two, and this matters too, is my career obviously. And then my sport, and we'll talk about the skeleton, but it's just, that matters too, but it's not number one. Yes. Uh, okay. And then I know when you talked to you said, well, here's the thing you, I can think about that, but it's really, am I living it? Right. So it's about, yes. am I living the values in order? Who do you, how do you do that? How do you keep track yourself if you're living it or not? Well, I think there's, there's twofold because I, if anyone who knows me or, or follows me, they know that I joined the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at 25. And so there was the 25 years before where I didn't have my faith and I didn't have this compass. Now I was, you know, brought up Lutheran and I had this intrinsic value of faith and religion, but it was really hard for me to define where the lines were, how they came together. And it wasn't until I joined the church that I really started to see patterns that helped me. And for me, it's scripture study. I mean, immediately, like every day in the morning when I do that, it helps me realign everything. I mean, my priorities for that day, how I handle my day, what, who do I want to be that day? You know, and if I start off the day on the wrong side of the bed, it really helps align me to making everything in that day matter. But uh-huh. before that, it was really hard. I mean, I would kind of do guesswork or I would let the world or society or Instagram tell me, you know, what was important that day. And I would get shifted. And I think that that's really when you have to find something. For me, it's my faith. For me, it's my, you know, personal time when I do my scripture study. For some, it could be a completely different thing. It could be a workout. It could be, you know, talking on the phone with your mom. It could be just something that really helps you to realign back to what really matters. And so whatever that is, I think that if you can find that, make it consistent and make it a habit, it can really shift your priorities and the way you think and the way that you act on the day-to-day, which can propel you to even more opportunities. So to gauge if something matters enough or not, you're going, you've got you've to understand what your values are and you have to have them anchored is what I'm hearing. Yes. So you're saying whatever in your faith anchors you or recenters those is where you go to. So mm-hmm. it could be journaling. It could be reading scriptures. It could be whatever it is. Um, it even could be, you know, your husband or a family member saying, yeah. whoa, 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 kind of thing, right? Yeah. 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 Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> or Yoda or Yoda or Buddha. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It could be anything, but anything to recenter you. It totally makes sense. Okay. So my next question is just when, when, and how did you know that you were not on a journey that mattered enough? And you've kind of talked about that, you know, in terms of a metric or a spectrum that you use, but let's just mm-hmm. get into your journey. Um, I know that we all have multiple journeys for you. You know, you have your professional journey and then of course your personal journey, which you've little, you've alluded to a bit, you have your athletic journey. So which journey do you want to start with? <laughs> you have a preference? I mean, <laughs> I think the first one is the most obvious for me because it started early and it went for a long time, uh, which was modeling. So at 13, I was scouted when I was in Houston, Texas. And at the time, you know, I was an athlete. I've been an athlete. I've been a competitive gymnast from three to 13. And then at that point, my parents got a divorce, which put a shift. And we can talk about that later. But got it. that 
took me out of gymnastics. So I was then placed into every sport in my high school by my mom to try to find my new meaning in life <laughs> because gymnastics was taken. So when do I got- Do sport, do that sport. Do that, 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 sounds, that sounds simple enough. Oh do yeah. All. It was ridiculous. Oh but oh love my mom. She was inspired. Yes. <laughs> but right. the thing was, was that I ended up getting scouted for modeling and they've actually asked me twice and I turned them down two times and it wasn't until finally my best friend, she was like, Courtney, this is a big deal. Like people desire to be scouted. Like people want this to happen to them. And I was like, well, okay, I'll go to the, I'll go to the little meeting and see what it's about. And that opened my eyes because then I started to realize that I could actually have a job really. I mean, at 14, I could be making money and it ended up proving to be very good because it actually pulled me out of a lot of really hairy financial situations because I was unable to pay for Baylor. I was unable to pay for things in New wow. York when I had no money <laughs> because right. I had booked a modeling job. So modeling started off as that thing where I was like, this matters. I want it. I want to be on the cover of blah, blah, blah. I want to rock the runway. And, mm. and I wanted to be this professional model, you know, Tyra Banks was the sure. person that I was just like her, let's be her. I want to be her. And so then, forget, forget babysitting for a second. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, a, you're 13. So you're going, whoa, like what, what was your, what were your parents' reactions to this? Well, I had two very mixed reactions. My mom was like, oh my gosh, I never knew about modeling. Like, this is kind of cool. Like, my 13-year-old is 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 working a really high-paying job, and they're, like, relying on her. So I think for her, it was really just interesting. My dad was like, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can hear that. Absolutely not. But you went – but you got permission somehow, and you moved forward with it. Yeah, permission got with it. a lot of um, – I think my dad would probably say talking back, but <laughs> – with a lot of opinions, I did continue to do it. And I honestly, I do it all the way till this day. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so is it's, did it ever become a full-time, full-time gig or it's always kind of in the side hustle, kind of a cash cow? Well, so honestly, first answer, it's always been on the side. But if you want to ask like the ego inside of me, there were moments where I was like, I'm going full time. I'm doing this on my own. This is all I'm going to do. But the thing about full time means that someone has to choose you to do it. <laughs> you can't just say right. full time, right. I'm going to be a model and you book nothing. So for me, it was really about, you know, could I book enough gigs back to back to where it could be a full time job? And unfortunately, that was not the case. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's honest. You're saying, Hey, it would have been cool. Uh, if it was my full time. Yeah. I tried uh, it at, at the time. Right. You tried it. Right. Okay. Got it. Then we go to Baylor. Was that an easy, like you knew you wanted to go? Oh gosh. No, no. Baylor was, I, I hate to break it to you, but I don't think there's one really easy thing that's happened. Um, <laughs> Baylor was okay. A then, then this is a good episode. Yeah. Go Baylor, Baylor was a struggle. Um, when you hear me talk about it flippantly, it probably sounds like, Oh, she just chose to go to Baylor. No, Baylor's a private school. Baylor's extremely expensive. It came from my dad telling me that I could not go to like Syracuse for lacrosse because it was out of the state of Texas. My dad was like, you will only go to school in Texas. <laughs> and you're born and raised Houston, right? Well, I was born in South Dakota and okay. I was brought down to Texas in second grade and I was lived in, and raised there for, you know, majority of my life. All right. So it counts. Okay. So your dad said you're going to Texas school. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, he had his idea of the ones that I was going to go to and he would list them. And I just was like, dad, I can, I can do better than that. Like I could, I could get in like a good school. And he's like, 
yeah, but those good, good schools are really expensive. And I was like, I can get scholarships. I could do it. Little enough, I got some scholarships. I worked hard as much as I could. But at the end of the day, it was really a battle. And I ended up doing community college the summer before I applied for Baylor to get my grades up even higher so that they could not tell me no. <laughs> and uh, and then eventually I applied and then I, I got in at the end of like the first semester for people who are in my grade. So like basically starting into your sophomore year, I, I got into Baylor. And so then I went and then I joined the lacrosse team and and I got my degree from Baylor University. How did you, out of all the Texas schools, you just went Baylor's my school for me? Or was it based on the lacrosse team? Or It was based on a couple of things. The first thing was the journalism program. When I was looking at journalism programs for all the schools in Texas, Baylor's just kept catching my eye with their broadcast journalism. There were a couple of professors that really, I don't know, I just felt like I resonated with when I read things that they wrote and the interviews they had. And so for me, Baylor just kind of naturally was where I wanted to be. And then when I did meet some of the girls who are on the lacrosse team, it also just kind of solidified, like, I want to be here and I want to get my degree from here. Okay. Okay. So let's back up. So to journalism, how did you know? Because how old were you? 16? Yeah. I mean, yeah, roughly. So you're looking into majors. Okay. Naturally. Did you know that broadcast was something you wanted to do or how'd you get to that place? I, did you tell me there's a story with your friend or something? Oh my gosh. My yeah. best friend uh, at Memorial in Houston at high school, she literally basically signed me up for broadcast journalism. And I didn't, I did not want to do it. I did not even really know what we were supposed I to do. I love this story. I love but this story. she was like, Courtney, we, we basically, we do the news for the school and they like broadcast us to all the classrooms and we like, that's what we do. And I was like, why? <laughs> why would I want to do that? Yeah, and bad idea. So fun. And so anyways, I told her, sure, fine, as long as you do yearbook with me. So anyways, I ended up doing broadcast journalism, had the best time. Uh, my friend Jessica and I like basically laughed our way through that course. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay. And then that really opened my eyes. I was like, I kind of like journalism. And I already knew I loved writing. And so that was something that I always had in the back of my mind, like I want to do something with writing. So I thought editorial journalism. And then because of my broadcasting experience at Memorial and because of my friend, I said, oh, my gosh, I want to do that for my degree. And so that's when I did news editorial journalism from Baylor. Awesome. Thank you to that friend. We love mm -hmm. her wherever she is now. We do, do you keep in her. touch with her, by the way? Oh my gosh, yes. So we actually lived together in New York right before oh, I got married. <laughs> yay. Okay, okay. So let's talk New York then. So Baylor, you graduate, turns out it was the right major for you. Yep. And then how did New York happen? Where oh, where God. do we go there? So there's actually a lot of uh, pockets to how New York happened. The first thing was that same best friend who told me I should do broadcasting also said, we, her and I, we needed to move to New York after we graduated. <laughs> And I'm glad, I was she, like, glad she has strong opinions. I, she, she, they, they're effective does. for you. Okay. She goes, we need to move to New York. And I thought, I've only been there one time when I was like 16 years old with my other really good friend who's basically a sister. She took me with her for a birthday. And I go, and that's it. And she goes, that's fine. It's fine. Like, I've been there, Courtney. It's where we need to be. <laughs> and I was like... Okay. So I started to look at it. Well, at the time, I was an executive assistant to a luxury retailer in Houston. And she was an entrepreneur. She built that business. She bought a 50-year-old company and then did a hybrid of her own company with it. And it was just very impressive. Like Everything that she did was 
unbelievable. And she did it by herself as a single mom. And I really, she actually taught me about entrepreneurism before I even knew what it was. How did you meet her? And she actually was one of my friend's mothers who went to Baylor. Okay. There we go. Baylor connection. Okay. Baylor connection. Yes. And, um, she, she, but she worked me. I just want to tell you that (laughs) if you talked to me when I was working for her, I was like, this woman's going to kill me, but she She brought it. She did. She was amazing. And she really kind of pushed me to be who I am. I think at that time when I was 21. So pretty much I leave her and I'm like, well, how can I get to New York? Because she was not going to get me there. Her business was in Houston, even though she went to New York from time to time. Wait, so let's pause. Let's pause really quick. So you're in Houston, but it was clear to you that it didn't, whatever you were doing for her, even though she worked you and sounds like you were learning a ton, it wasn't enough at that point. You still had your eye on New York. It felt limiting because- There you go. She was in one, she had one store in one place. And even though she would go to New York for her buy, because you know she was in fashion, it just, that wasn't enough for me. I was like, I need to get out. I need to go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you, this intrinsic, Ooh, I've got to go. So then what happens? So then I start to realize, well, if I leave her company, what in the world am I going to do? And that's actually when Lululemon started to kind of pop up. A lot of people couldn't pronounce the name. They called it Lululemon. And (laughs) because it is so sophisticated, no? So sophisticated lemon. But um, everyone was like, what is it? What is it? And so I was one of those people. I thought, what is this? And when you read their mantra and when you went to one of their stores and when you met the people who were on the floor helping you, the energy and the kind of focus around fitness and wellness and work-life balance, it just spoke to me. I mean, I was like, sign me up. Like, how much lemonade can I drink? And so pretty much I applied. And that was my first time realizing that I will pretty much do anything to get to New York. And so I started working at the Woodlands, Texas for the Lululemon there. Uh And then my manager sat down, had a goal coaching lesson with me, which this happened multiple times, by the way. (laughs) But she she had one with me. And it was basically like, how do we get you to New York if that's what you want to do? And that actually propelled me to New York. But it was not because of just that. I um, had some family issues, a lot of relationships that I value so much today at that time were hanging on by a thread. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of family drama, I guess you could say. And it was ugly. I mean, really, just not good. And it kind of pushed me out of Texas because of it. I was like, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. And not to the fault of one Pacific person. You know, it was me. It was them. It was all of us. And it was how we were handling things. But the family situation was not good. And I came to a point where I didn't have a place to live. And I called my friend who was living in L.A. And she Mm. was like, this is the one who's basically my sister. And she said, you need to go stay with my friend who's, who was in Houston. And she was like, you need to get your life like together and you need to figure out how you can get to New York because it is expensive. And I was like, oh my gosh. It's just, it was just a mess, Courtney. Yeah. It, it sounds overbearing. It was a lot. It was yeah. definitely a lot. And it was. Yeah. And unexpected. Did you see it coming? <sighs> you could say, if you look back, maybe you saw some signs, but right. no, I think like when you're young, and you think you know better, and you're stubborn like me, <laughs> you get head headstrong in certain situations. And you you want to voice your opinion, and you want to fight back if people are pushing you over and over and over and over again. And I kind of just got to a point where I was just 
I didn't know what to do. And so for mm. me, it was, it was cut it all off, like just cut it off, get rid so of that it. Was the, that yeah. was the choice. You needed to leave. Yeah. So your friend in LA said, go stay with my friend in New York. Is that how that went? Oh, she told me to stay with her friend in Houston. And oh, I in Houston. Them. Yep. Mm. I lived with them. And I shared a bed with her sister. Wow. Uh, because there wasn't enough room in her house. Wow. And, um, but she took me in like nobody I could even explain. Like she just, they just loved me. They support, they packed my lunch when I'd go to Lululemon. I didn't have a car at the time because it, it like broke down and she let me wow. borrow her niece's car and I would take her niece to school and then I would drive to work. And it was just like, talk about unwavering, just ministering, just kindness without even thinking mm. twice. And that and kind of undeserving, you know, you oh feel that way a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, completely. Because yeah. I was here I am, this, this family is taking me in as their family member and I'm cutting mine off because I just sure. didn't want to deal with it anymore. Uh-huh. And so Lululemon, I was there and I was living, you know, in someone else's house and I just felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And I just was like, I've got to get to New York. I got to get to New York. I applied for a contest at Vogue. They had an essay contest and it was basically what does American what? Do? I mean, yeah. I know Vogue has essay contests all the time, but you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for that. Just because yeah. you're just trying to get there. Is that we're well, trying to well, get there? The yeah. thing about that Vogue contest, it came at a very specific time for me. I was binge reading Vogue. <laughs> I loved it. Okay, Vogue. okay. Got um, it. I, I was just like, it was just the magazine I would read every single page of. And okay. so at the time I had gotten an email, you know, like you get those little emails, and it said there was an essay contest. And I was like, oh man, I love writing. Like I'll, I'll answer the question. It was, what does American beauty mean to you? And Look so, at you. You know the question. Okay. Oh, I will never forget. This was a life-changing essay. Okay. okay. <laughs> wow. I, so I sat down and I just poured my heart out about what it meant to me. And I brought up the fact that I came from a blended family and how I'm adopted and my mom is Thai and my dad's black. And I was raised in in South Dakota and then Houston, Texas. And there's so much blended that I talked about how American beauty to me is being in a melting pot and thriving. And, right. and so anyways, I submitted it and it was one of those contests where they put it up on their website and you have to let the people pick. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a vote. <laughs> there was a vote. And I looked at the other people who had submitted essays and they were like authors and they were editors. And I was like, oh, there's no way. Anyways, I won. <laughs> what? I won. <laughs> okay. And All right. Was, I love that. Were you freaking out? Beyond freaking yeah. out. Because the day that I won, actually, it was like a really hard day. The day that I won, I had just called my friend who told me to go stay with her friend. I was called her that day mm. to tell her I was looking at homeless shelters for women that I was going to wow. move into one. And she was like, you can't do that. Wow. And so- she was the one, that's why she brought up her friend Diana to go live with right. her. And I said, Well, I'll ask her, and that would be really kind and big of her to let me move in with her. But if she doesn't, I just want to let you know, like, that's what I have to do. So that same day, I get that email when I just said that I was willing to like go live in a homeless shelter. I fell to my knees because I just thought, Oh my gosh, the, with the person who wins this contest, they won two flights to New York. They won a week there. They are going to Fashion Week. They meet the editor-in-chief of Vogue. And then they also go to Ausland Publishing, which is a book publisher, and they meet 
the person who's actually publishing the book called American Beauty and her name was Claiborne Swanson Frank. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this just got me a ticket to New York. Like this essay. I fell to my knees. I was bawling. And yeah, I mean, try not crying during the episode 22 (laughs) minutes in, by the way, if you are, it's okay. You're normal. Okay. So that happens. The hardest part though, was that day I was supposed to go talk to my dad and he was one of the ones I was having a really difficult uh, relationship with at the time. And for me, it was, it was a mix of things. It was this like, I don't know. I look back and I'm like, oh, that was kind of an egocentric thing to do. But basically I saw him and he kind of said, you know, like, I'm done with you too. Like, and I just turned around and I said, by the way, I won. And he goes, you won what? And I was like, I won the Vogue essay contest. Cause I had mentioned it to him in passing when we were like somewhat speaking. And he just looked at me at like, and he just was silent. And he said, congratulations. And I walked away and I picked up the rest of my stuff out of his house and I moved to Diana's and I moved in with mm-hmm. uh, her family. And then a couple wow. weeks later, I, you know, I went to New York with my friend, my sister from LA, basically, wow. who the one who told me to go stay with Diana, the one who said, like, you can't live in a homeless shelter. Um, she was the one who I took with me and we went and I just saw every single possibility there was when we got to New York. Wait, so let me back up. So so off you go to New York and that's when you, and you land the job at Lulu, right? So yes. And the funny yeah. thing was, was that where the Hotel Vogue put me at, it's in an area in Lincoln Center. And if it's right across the street from uh, Juilliard and, and the Met and everything. Well, the Lululemon right across the street is the one that they sent me to. Lululemon sent me to that. Yes. <laughs> Which I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that. Back to your dad. So how did you process that? I mean, did you? Did you have time? Have you done it later? It's That's a different podcast altogether. I'm just thinking about your dad standing there, you know, with silence, right? And you just moved My- on. My dad is a very strong man. And I mean that in the sense of he has supported so many people and he has, he's a a really like rooted, like if you could think of the strongest tree that just grew out of everything, like that's my dad. I happen to be like the strongest gust of wind that has ever like rocked his life because, you know, I'm his daughter. I'm his, his baby. Like he adopted me. Like they, my mom and him couldn't have kids. I'm their child that they like prayed for. And to have me come and say like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me. And we just can't agree. And we just are not going to try anymore. I think it was just a really, I was awful for him as much as it was awful for me. I can guarantee it's awful for him. And like now you fast forward, obviously we have a relationship and it's a good one. And I'm so beyond grateful. And it took a lot of forgiveness on both of our sides and a lot of work. Once you realize what matters and that relationship mattered so much to me, but I had to go through this like cutoff, which was excruciating. But right. Um, right. right. Why did you want to go to New York so bad, Courtney? Vogue, I'm guessing is because of modeling, right? There's there's a lot of hybrids to that. I mean, Model Epicenter was in, in New York. You know, you've got my other friend, Jessica, in my ear being like, you got to be in New York. Yeah. And there was just this thing inside of me that always said, like, you need to be in New York. And I don't know okay. if Jessica triggered it and then it just yeah. kept echoing. I don't right. know if it was the Holy Ghost. I don't know what it was. But I can tell you that when I look back now, I was 100% supposed to go to New York. 
Yeah. Yep. hundred percent certain. Yeah. And I think that's really important what you talked about the epicenters, right? It's not just one voice, it's multiple, yeah. right. And, and, and all kind of coming in at the same time. Uh, and it just was, it felt solid from, from the root of it. And yeah. so you went and then they, so Vogue puts you up in a hotel next to Lincoln center, the Lulu, I know right where you're talking about yeah. is on the corner of that Lincoln uh-huh. center neighborhood. And so you get placed there and you're working retail at Lulu. So how's that going? What are you thinking there? Well, you're pumped. I'm, I'm assuming. Yes, I'm thrilled. There was a lot of struggles, a lot of things that happened uh, in between that. <laughs> I found an apartment while I was still in Texas, right before I was flying out. Before mm-hmm. it was like around Thanksgiving, and I put some money down on it. They said, "When you get there, I'll give you the key, and then they'll get then for me to pay them the other half." And I said, "Perfect." So I sent half of it. I was so pumped and. Anyways, right before my flight, I broke out in shingles. I had shingles down the side of my back. Yep. Oh. Right before my big move to New York. And the doctor says, well, you're stressed. <laughs> and I said, newsflash. Wow. I know. Um, so I boarded a plane of three pieces of luggage with shingles and so much pain. And I get off the wow. plane and I call the person to go get the key. He says, meet him at a Chipotle. So I do. He never shows up two hours later. I can kind of see where that's going. So he and doesn't he come. never comes and tells me his wife has cancer and he had to go to the hospital. Anyways, I was scammed. I had no place to live. So And no money. And He took the money. Yes, he took that money. Wow. Oh, so, my. okay. Yeah, it was, it was pretty that's bad. That's a horrible. So, that's a horrible welcome. It was like, um, hey, welcome to New York. I yeah, ended exactly. up. Yeah, I got in that cab from the airport to the Chipotle and my credit card wouldn't work because I was in a different state and I was too dumb to actually tell them I was going to another state. So it didn't work. And the cab driver started cursing me out. And I opened the cab door and literally on the sidewalk, like in between the curb and the floor was a $20 bill. And I picked it up and I said, is this OK? He goes, that's fine. And he kicked me out of his cab. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Oh my gosh. Okay. So you get there and then the Chipotle that falls through. So now you have no place to live. So I actually went to Lululemon and Lincoln Center with all my luggage crying. And no one had met me before because they basically hired me over the phone because I was already working for Lululemon. So I talked to the manager on the phone. No one had seen me. So they didn't know who I was. I walk in with all my luggage and I'll never forget the store manager goes, you're, you're Courtney. Oh, <laughs> you're like that's me. Yes, this in is like me. Twenty pieces, and she said, "Come in the back room." And she didn't know what to do because she's running a business, and it's like a popping day; like it's busy. And she says, "Go in the back room, go in that bathroom." And she goes, "I'm gonna leave you in here for a couple minutes because I got stuff I have to do, but I want you to think about what you're gonna do next, and I'm gonna come back and ask you what your next step is." And she shut the door. <laughs> wow. Okay, it's on you. And so uh, luckily I called my modeling agency in Houston and I just said, I'm in New York. I'm homeless. Like, is there a model housing or something that you can help me out with? And sure enough, they did. They found model housing in New York for me. And oh, they said, smart. They smart, said smart. that you can go stay there for a couple of weeks, but you know you have to pay that back. Meaning like you got to book some jobs to pay that back. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Can you just find me a place to stay tonight? So I stayed in model housing for two weeks. Then I stayed with a friend for like a month. Um, she was a sorority sister of mine. She lived in New York and she said, yeah, come stay with me. She was so nice. And then I ended up getting my first apartment there with five other girls that I didn't know. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So, so you're there, you're doing the Lulu thing and you're on this journey. And then let's just jump. Tell us about like, I know that we talk freelance writing and we talk digital marketing. So just tell us like how that the leap, I know you've always loved writing 
And I, re- I remember you telling me about, you know, you wanted a job at Vogue, right? Oh, yes. And then that, yes. that didn't work out. And then you got picked up as a freelance writer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Vogue, um, as much as I wanted it, as much as I prayed, as much as I like stalked people on LinkedIn, you know, it just didn't work. I never got it. I, you know, came close wow. once. And when I say close, I mean, someone just answered the phone, but I just, like, <laughs> <laughs> we're there. We're there. Yeah, baby. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I did not, they did not, they did not bring me in. And you would think that, oh, well, I wrote this essay and it won. Like, isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. So um, I kind of had to just sit on it. I just sat on it. I just kept thinking, look, if it's going to happen, it'll happen. I just need to keep it in the back of my mind, but I need to figure out a way to like make money and like move forward. Right. And uh, one of my friends who I don't even know how I met her now that I think about it, but she had lived in New York. She's from London. And I called her my big sister of New York. And she kind of took me in. She lived on the Upper East Side with me, not too far away. And she just hung out with me a lot. She was a little older than me. And she said, hey, my friend is an editor for an online publication called Gotham Bandit. And he's always looking for people to do kind of freelance writing. Like, would you be interested in that? And I said, yes, of course. I'm interested in just writing for anyone. Did you even know what Gotham was? Yeah. So obviously I looked it up. I mean, I'd not heard of it until she told me, but I looked it up and I was just like, oh, this is great. It was all about fitness. And, and so anyways, I linked up with Bobby, who was the editor for that. And he just said, he goes, look, I'll give you one shot. He said, why don't you go to a workout class that's brand new here in the city and I want you to like write up a story about it and I want you to rate it. And I'll just see like what your writing style looks like and how you kind of explain it all. So I go to the workout class, it's brand new, new instructor, and I do this write up and I give it to him. And he's like, This is really good. Like, do you want to do a series where like every new workout that comes out or new studio or new instructor that gets introduced that's like the big craze? Would you? rate them. And I said, yeah, of course. And so that ended yes. up being my little, my little beat. And so I was able to like fit in fitness and writing and it was just, it was a really good combination. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you're writing for Gotham. And then I know that, that eventually you, you, you became really passionate about digital marketing and e-commerce and all that. So, so take us there. Yeah. So that was because of Bobby. Bobby kind of started showing me more about the Gotham Bandit website and kind of how to run it and how he wanted to incorporate e-commerce. And at the same time, I was doing digital marketing for Lululemon out of the LinkedIn store. And so I was getting really plugged in with just like the fitness aspect and the running community, specifically the running community. Okay. uh, Because you were a run coach. Yes. Yep. And so that was kind of like a little seedling that was opening my eyes to digital marketing. And also, I mean, just kind of push back to the beginning, but the entrepreneur who I first worked with in Houston at the luxury retail establishment, yes. that is when Facebook opened up to businesses. And I played uh-huh. around with her business as like the first like Facebook ah. business that I had ever seen. And right. so I always had this bug for it ever since then. And so I was right. just always playing with it and incorporating it. And so Lululemon let me play a little bit more and obviously learn from them. And then Bobby let me kind of learn from his. And then eventually I just said, you know what? I think I could do this. Like I could I could help businesses, like small businesses, like build uh-huh. their digital marketing and just like really get some growth, some organic growth and do some some of that. And so that's when I wanted to kind of start in that space, but didn't know how. You know, once again, you're saying, hey, never been an entrepreneur. Well, how do you begin? Yeah, I was going to say like <laughs> why, especially in a market as large and global as New York, like how, how, how did you gain confidence that that would either even be worth it? 
So speaking of gaining confidence, I, I, I don't know. I didn't exactly. I was given it. <laughs> I was, I was on the floor at Lululemon during holiday. It was like crazy busy, and they had everyone come out to the floor because it was just tons of people in there. And right. I was walking around checking on people, seeing if they needed help with some stretchy pants. And this guy comes up to me and he's like looking over at the pants section that I happen to be standing in. And, and he's like, so I'm a runner. And I was like, oh, good. And so I just start talking to him about it. And he just goes, is this all you do? And I just was like, what a question. Um, yes. <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, do you, do you only work here? And I go, yes. And he's like, starts, starts grilling me. He's literally like, where'd you go to school? What's your degree in? Do you have a degree? You know, what's your dream? And I was just like, who is this guy? And so anyways, I, I kind of just divulge a little bit more information. And then he says, well, here's my card. And his card happened to be like not a real card. It was like somebody else's card that he then wrote his email address on. Fake and, card. Yeah, Fake and gave it to card. me. card. Sketchy. Right. So you, you think you're like, okay, yeah, this is exactly how every guy in New York tries to get a date. Yeah, not falling for it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Nice. And I, I kind of shove it off, but I help him. You know, I'm not rude to him or anything. And he checks out and he leaves and I just put the card in my purse and I move on. Well, like a couple days later, the phone rings at Lululemon, the store. And someone okay. goes, Courtney, there's a phone call for you. And I'm like, who in the world is calling me on Lululemon's landline? So I go and I pick it up. And this guy's like, big mistake. You didn't email me. Now I'm calling you. This is your next chance. I think you should really get into broadcast journalism. I think you have a talent. You're very what? green, but I want to help you. And I was like, he goes, Google my name. It's John Frankel. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks so much. He goes, email me. And I was like, okay, thank you. And he was like, okay, thanks. Have a good day. Bye. And he like hangs up the phone. Google him. John Frankel is on Real Sports for HBO. Oh my, what? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, so there you, okay. So yeah. in broadcast journalism, you're going, this is what I've always wanted to do. It's what I majored in. Or are you like, yeah. oh yeah, I could do that, but I'm also doing Lulu and I'm doing all the other things. And, and half of my head's going, duh. And the other half of my head's going, uh. Right, <laughs> right. You sure. know, so anyways, I obviously I email him back. He puts me in touch with his executive producer of Real Sports over at HBO and the guy's like, obviously, like, who are you? Like, you have no resume. You have no pedigree. Why is John Frankel sending me you? And <laughs> you could just kind of tell he was like, what's the point of this? I'm only doing this because it's John Frankel and I'm just going to trust him. So he's literally asking me, the executive producer of HBO Real Sports is asking me, well, what do you want to do? And I'm pausing. Like, I can't speak. I'm just like, well, I graduated with broadcasting and um, I currently sell stretchy pants. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, I really he's like, like, why are you here? <laughs> what are you doing here? And he's like, OK, so why don't we try to figure out how to get you into, you know, like broadcasting and da da da. And I don't know what happened, but apparently my face did not look like I was excited about it. And then he goes, okay, so what else are you interested in? Like basically wow. like clearly it's not that. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. It is that. But I don't, apparently it didn't look like it was. So then he says, well, you know what? What is it? So I said, well, I, I really want to start my own thing or I want to work with small businesses. And I've been, I've been really thinking about this idea of like helping them with digital marketing. And I've been playing with a couple of, of, of digital marketing resources. And he goes, oh, well, my wife and I are starting a company and 
we're looking for someone to help us. Like it was just him and his wife. And he's like, you basically would be like our first hire and you would create the digital marketing. You'd help with the e-commerce site and you'd help build the brand, create it. And so I said, yes, that's exactly how did you, how did you know that that would be a part of the journey that, that mattered, that mattered enough? I mean, you know, so the only way that I knew at that moment that that would be a journey that mattered was because of my initial facial reaction. I think when he said broadcasting, which I genuinely, obviously now I'm a broadcaster, so I love it. And it was a path that I needed to be on. I just wasn't ready for it yet. And so when he said this opportunity to do something that I thought I couldn't even tap into, and then here he was giving me this hand of like, let me bring you in. I thought, yes. And so for me, that's how I knew that that journey mattered was because of my reaction. Like genuinely, I was more excited. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So it just became apparent to you. So then you go, you, you go help him and his wife with this business and yeah. then you eventually start your own, right? Yeah. So then I realized yeah. like after working with them for a couple of years, I said, you know what? I think I could do this with other businesses because they didn't have a lot. They had some branding, which was really, really good. They had a couple of their products, but then I helped them like create new products. We created a whole new line. We got them on certain websites. Like I was just like trying anything and everything. I was just really energized by it. And so I thought I could do this for other industries, like other categories. So that's when I started just telling people my dream, which was to do this for other small businesses. And literally all through word of mouth, I ended up getting six other clients And starting and helping and creating them all the way from businesses that were just starting where someone literally sat down in front of me and said, I have nothing but the idea. And I just said, all right, that's good enough. (laughs) All the way to juices you. Yeah. And then till someone who had been up and running for three years, you know, so it was a big span of like how old the company was, but okay. But that's what it was. So you're doing that. Is there a point where you go, ah, like there's something else or I want to go broadcast or what? Kind of what, what, uh, well, from the shift of having my own digital marketing consulting business to then becoming a co founder to a fitness tech company was the shift because I then had someone who ended up being my co founder for Mix Fitness, but he came to me seeing that I was, you know, helping small businesses and startups and was like, oh, I want to interview. Like, I want to hear about what you're doing to see if maybe we could work together. And it was actually for another business that he was doing on like before he had even met me. And then when I sat down and met with him, he was like, okay, scratch that. Like, I want you to be a co-founder with me. And I have a, I have a investor. And I think that like between you and I, like we could, we could really just make this a big deal. And so I said, okay. And there was a lot of circumstances with my other companies that I had to kind of finalize and figure out and pass off and things like that. But I basically closed down all of those avenues and said, thank you so much, like gave them their due diligence. And then I said, I'm going to do my own thing. And that's that shift for me was realizing going from like a one man band to being a co-founder and having an investor and like really building something it was such a big shift and it was so needed because I was, I was pretty much killing myself doing the latter. So that's, yeah, I was going to ask why, why, how did that go running your own? And then did you know that you wanted to kind of go, like if he had never approached you, do you know what you would have done next? Were you out looking to be a co-founder of a fitness platform? No, No. I would have never had that idea, would have never looked for that. I probably would have just taken on more clients and then try to bring on more employees and try to build it. And 
Mm. You know, you have to remember too, at the same time, I was learning all of it. So Mm. I knew my skill set, like my skill set was solid, but I was learning how to grow and how to manage multiple clients and how to leverage my time and energy and resources and and bring in interns and then bring in and then hire people. Like I hired people for each of those companies as well and not for myself. I hired them for their companies so that I could grow them so I could leave. Like that was how I approached each company was like, you will eventually not need me anymore. I'm just here to get you up off the ground. Sure. Makes sense. So you're there and then this offer comes through. And did you just know, Courtney, it was too good to be true? Did you know that it was safe? Did you kind of, how are you gauging your next? Well, safe was a relative word. Uh, Safe in the sense that, sure, we had money coming in, which was good to know. But did I know this guy? No, not really. Did I know the investor? No, not really. You know, there was a lot of stuff that I just had to kind of do my research on the back end, you know, aka stock people, and reach out to those who were connected with them and just be like, hey, have you worked with them before? Like, what's your experience? And then eventually I just said, well, there's enough positive that I should just take the leap. And like, when do you get an opportunity like this? And, you know, I was in my, I was in my early 20s. So like, to be mm. able to be a co-founder to a fitness tech startup with an yep. investor in your early tw- – like you don't – I don't know. You don't say no doesn't to come, Doesn't yeah. come across. So you, it became very apparent to you that it's it's worth the leap. Yeah. Um, whatever, whatever ends up happening, it's worth the leap. So you scale back your business. You essentially yeah, fold slowly. it. Yeah. And then with – you join Mix and now you're at QVC. So, <laughs> and I mean, I know there's a lot of story. I know the fitness platform, the co-founder route, it sounds, it, give us just the nuts and bolts of what happened at the end and how long were you there? And then, yeah. Well, we, it took us about three years. Okay. Um, I was there for like the three, we launched, we were launching literally when I was getting married. That's a whole nother story. Yes. Um, and it just kind of came down to realization of, how they were valuing each person. And so I kind of said, hey, like I want to be valued more. And I kind of asked and asked and and produced and produced. And eventually I just said, well, I don't know if we're going to get to where I think I should be within this space. And as much as I love this company and it's my baby, I need to also take care of myself. So I started applying because I got a prompting. I was in the temple Um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, like we have temples. And so I was in there with my husband and I just had this this prompting from the Holy Ghost that just kept being like, you need to apply for broadcast journalism jobs. And I'm like, what is this? This is annoying. Like I have a job. I'm a co-founder. Yeah, it's inconvenient. Yeah, like that's a whole nother space that I have not even gone into. Why would I do that now? Right. And Anyways, I told my husband and he just said, well, you should listen and you should just Google broadcast journalism jobs. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I just did. Because <laughs> that's what we do. We that- Google the jobs. Okay. So so, so you're at, you're at Mix and I, I know the, the environment that you had said, you know, it was all male for the most part. You yeah. said that most of the folks oh, were 15. it was all were- male. <laughs> I was the oh, only one I was the only yeah. It was, oh, it was all male. Okay, got it. Men. And then the, everyone was about fifteen years older than you, yeah, basically. So that yeah. So it was just like in, ter- in terms of a culture fit, it wasn't ideal. Uh, but being well, a co-founder was in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it didn't align with what you valued that we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, right? Yeah, it took me a lot away from. 
anything. I mean, if anyone who has started anything, you know that it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort and you really have to sacrifice a lot. And it, I was sacrificing a ton and then realizing that, wait, how far have I actually gone and mm. how much did I sacrifice? Mm. And I've barely moved in three years. Mm. Like that's not, there's something wrong here. And that's when I started to realize like, okay, I got to shift because they're not going to make sure that I progress. They're just going to make sure that they progress with what they want. And so I had to realize that I had to do something. Okay. So it'd been boiling up for a while, right? And, um, and so then you received this prompting and you follow it. It leads you to Uncle Google. And so off yeah. you go to Uncle Google and Uncle Google, is that where like a QVC application, like where, how do you find QVC? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I Googled it and the first thing that came up was indeed.com and it said QVC TV host, like job. And I was like, oh, QVC. I think my dad watched QVC. Click on it. <laughs> and... I am like, oh my gosh, this is like every skill set that I have. Like, this is perfect. So then I turn on QVC and the first person I see is Leah Williams. If you watch QVC, you like her and I kind of look similar. And I said, well, I could be okay. her. <laughs> I can, and so I applied. I applied and, and 17,000 applicants applied for QVC and they hired six of us. Wow. Yeah. Out of 17,000. Out of 17,000. Yeah. And what's your husband thinking? Like, oh, my go husband for it? Is like, what is happening? We had been right. married. So my husband lived on the West Coast. We had been married in February and yeah. he had just moved to New York. He was in New York for six months before I got the job at QVC and I oh. moved us to Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, I remember you're in Pennsylvania. Okay, so so <laughs> poor thing. Okay, so, so you get it. Did you think you were gonna get it? Oh man, I don't know. No, yes, no, I don't know. You think, you think like, oh, I have all the skill sets. Of course I should get it. But then there's stuff that you say that for and you don't get it. And I just thought it would be cool. <laughs> so does it matter enough? I mean, you've been there almost two years now, right? And yeah. I mean, it, how's it going? Like, is this is this the last stop on the journey? Is it, is it, it, I, it was clear with all of your shifts, right? That they, they had mattered, which I think is really important to the community here. It, th that you didn't choose anything that didn't matter somewhat, even modeling mattered for different reasons, right? But did it matter enough? And I, my hunch is that, Courtney, if any of those had mattered enough, like if your small digital marketing business had mattered enough, maybe not the pivot to mix, even though it was the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And if like the freelance writing at Gotham had mattered enough, maybe not the shift to T. Walker. Like, so I'm just, am I, am I understanding correctly? I, it's, it's interesting because when you say like, did it matter enough? Well, I think once again, it's, I don't know if it's fully the enough. I think it's more like, did you do enough already? And for hmm. me, each thing hmm. was, hmm. I felt like I had given it enough. I had given it everything. Hmm. I had dropped everything. I had sacrificed immensely. Hmm. And so for me, it wasn't, is the next thing mattering more. It's more that like I had given enough where I was so I can now go to the next thing. Got it. So a lot of that has to do with values too, Courtney, right? It's so you, yes, the extrinsic box check, I did the job, it's on the resume, but it's really, is this, am I, the value of learning 
right? Because yeah. it sounds like you really value learning and yeah. you value growth. So if you're going, okay, have I learned what I needed to learn? And the only way that you really learn, if I'm guessing this, is, the, is by you giving your enough, mm-hmm. right? You can't yeah. like maximize your learning unless you've given enough. And so you're going, no, like this is how I do it. And I think this is really important is you're going, hey, if I want to learn the most I possibly can, I have to give my enough. And yeah. you know once that what that is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know when you've hit that point. Because I don't know if we rewind like 30 years ago, if you show a baby boomer your resume or my resume for that matter, over years they'll go, well, why are they switching? Why did they switch yeah. so much? They're clearly not committed. They clearly don't understand loyalty. They clearly don't know what they want. You know, you know, can you hear this kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this whole thing. That might be one of my parents. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Or my parents or any, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It makes a lot of sense, especially when there was more loyalty that companies gave to employees, period, and mm-hmm. more financial benefits and pensions and all these things. Like it was just a different professional world. And so I'm just thinking back to going, ah, oh, like, and so you, you from the beginning just said, okay, well, what is, what matters to me and what matters enough to me? And so you're going with your values and you're going with your faith, your family, friends, but you also, you know, your career, but really what's underlying all of this is you reaching your potential and you learning if I'm getting this right. So then, so you make the switch to QVC and I know that that whole conversation, like the, the, the offer and you quitting mix was like very dramatic and all these things, but you, you land at QVC and here you are and you're rocking it. We know you're rocking it. You guys, if you haven't watched QVC and Courtney on QVC, like go there tonight. You can even oh. drop the podcast. No, don't drop the podcast. Don't stay with us. But then we'll let them. We'll. So you're there and it's, it's, is it kind of the same experience, Courtney? Are you going through and you're like, am I learning? Am I learning? And you're, you're still learning and it's, yes. it's working. Yeah. Yes. Le- I mean, learning on like speed because mm. obviously when you first get there, you got to learn the craft and then you've got to learn how they do the craft. And then you got to learn while you're live, hot live with other people and products and people talking in your ear and screens and camera switching. And I mean, it's a lot. It's it's more than one probably process. <laughs> but so it's been very fulfilling. And now it's more of like, I know I'm in the space that I want to be. Now, what am I going to do with this space? And then how am I going to grow? How does that feel? I mean, we spent most of the podcast like talking about the the moves, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and all the shifts. But how does it feel to go, oh, like, this is my space? It feels good because it feels like all the stuff before that, I, it brought me here. And mm. so it just feels good to kind of, you know, relax in the pool for a little while. <laughs> right. Right. It's kind of funny, right? Because we say relax in the pool, even though it's the most intense pool you've ever been in. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe but it's a tidal wave. <laughs> yeah. Or the tidal wave. Relax in the tidal wave. Watch out. There's another one coming. So, I mean, just thinking about the – well, congratulations, right, to like find that space. And I just think for the audience and just the community here, it's like sometimes journeys, we don't time them. Sometimes no. they're not on our timeline. Um, and sometimes I'm just wondering for you, how long has the journey – journey to quote unquote enough or really finding your space. I think that's crucial. So finding your space, cause you, you, you're checking things off. You're like, okay, marketing. Yeah, I'm good at it. But like, is that my space writing? Uh, am I good at it? But is that my space retail? And it's like, we want to be linear and put things in boxes, but I'm assuming at QVC, like a lot of the skills that you brought in are, you're still leveraging and using, oh, yeah. even though it's broadcast journalism in that space. Right. So it's just, how long has the journey to enough been in total? Like how many years has this been? Like how long New York to Westchester, Pennsylvania? 
Yeah. So I, I mean, if you think about that, I, I got to New York when I was like 23, 22. So that's mm-hmm. been like eight, nine years. Okay. So there you go. We'll just say about a decade, right? A little over a decade. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, Courtney, do you wish it had been shorter? Are there parts that you want to remove? Uh, you know, do you have any regrets or feel like you wasted time on the journey to get to kind of your space? Oh, man, come on. Everyone wants to answer that a different way. They all want to say, oh, yeah, I would shorten it. No. I mean, Yeah, there's no right answer here. It's your answer. There's not a right answer. And for me, the emotional stretching that I have endured – was so vitally needed that I wouldn't change it. I mean, if I didn't grow in in the way that I have, maybe I would. But all those things that I was so upset about and that was hard or like relationships that were broken and all of that, they're healed now. And so I can look back and say, no. I mean, yes, those things were terrible, but they're good now and they're even better now because we both know that we have to put in a lot of effort and a lot of work and a lot of forgiveness and that means more. So, you know, I think it's just one of those things where you just say, look, that was the journey and that's that's just how I embraced it. And right. you know, obviously with the gracious mercy of our Heavenly Father, because there is no way that I could have endured any of that stuff by myself, but it, it all worked out. Yeah. I mean, there's no right answer. No right. We're not looking for a right answer to that question. And you're kind of seeing that, hey, like every journey played a role, like every piece of the journey played a role or has. Let's talk about middles then. Like, because every, every intersection here, there was a middle or middles, plural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what role did they play in, in the experience of switching careers over the past decade? Well, the middles played as like these shifts. They played as these moments where I could reevaluate, where I could make choices Mm -hmm. and take accountability for what I have produced and what I will produce. Because I think there are some middles that are super obvious, you know, like the one where it's like, hey, do you want broadcasting or do you want entrepreneurship? And that was like literally a fork in the road and I'm standing there in the middle and I got to choose which one. Like some of those are really obvious. But so how does it feel when you're standing there? It feels like, I mean, truly it feels like there's a wrong answer, <laughs> but, uh, but know that there's not because that's the thing is like, I really, there's a talk that I absolutely love and it just reminded me of that, that sometimes you have to go down the wrong path to realize it's the wrong one and then turn around and then go down the right one. And mm. The middle gives you that moment to really be like, okay, I'm going to make an active decision in my life to progress and to go forward. It may not result in what I want it to, but it knows, but it makes me know that I moved forward and I got out of where I was. And, and I think that shows you that you have growth, you have potential, you have, you have agency, like you have choice. And I think so many of us are like, no, I can't, I can't do that. No, it's just not possible. I'm not good enough. I don't have that degree. I don't know those people. And it's like, you're probably in the middle if you're thinking that and you have a choice then to say, I'm going to take the next step from this position towards something else. And, and I think that's really empowering if you can use it. Yeah, well, it sounds like it sounds like you've leveraged it, right? So the middles, I know that you talked about. It sounds like they taught you what you really care about, and it sounds like it sounds like they make you ask the question, "What do you really want?" When you're talking about the intersection, what's your emotion in them? Is it always just, "Yeah, here we are"? It's like another fork in the road, or is it 
is there pain in them or is it like, ah, this is, this is uncertainty. Like I have no freaking clue what I'm going to, what, what I'm going to do. Or I'm, I'm just thinking about that cab example. You found 20 bucks on the, on the ground. It's just like such a classic New York story. I mean, and then you walk into Lululemon disheveled and like all of that. Um, but it, there's been a lot in your journey where you don't know what's going to happen next or where it was unpredictable. So have you gotten used to that feeling or what is the feeling? Well, it, you know, initial thought is, oh, it feels like quicksand. It feels like I ah. am thinking until someone shoves a stick out there and it always takes someone else because I can't get out by myself. Like every single thing I feel like that has happened in my life, you you can't get yourself out of quicksand. You like, If you move, you will inevitably push yourself further down. And so uh-huh. you need someone to notice you, hand you a stick and literally pull you out because you can't do it by yourself. So for me, it's always been just like, I've got to rely on the fact that there's somebody out there who wants to help me if I just tell them that I'm struggling or that I want to change where I'm at or I want to shift or or even those times where you're like, I'm actually really content, but sometimes you need someone to say, you're really content right now, but you could do more. And you need to be reminded that you're kind of playing under your privilege. And so- That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times, Courtney, middle people will explain middles, and this is how I experience them. They're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. I'm fine. I've gotten more and more used to them, which is why we're why we have this community to go. No, like there's a way to navigate middles. Like the inevitably, like all the personal transformation and growth comes in the middle. Like duh. Like we know this, and like this is so important, and like let's max, maximize this. But it doesn't take away the comfort. Uh, but you get more and more used to it, right? However, there is also I've talked to several people that go, Oh no, I'm really comfortable in them. Mm. <laughs> like I actually don't like to get out of them. It's like a happy place, right? Or I don't know if happy is the word, but it's just, yeah. it's actually the getting out of it is the the challenging part, oh, right? Yeah. So you had described, I remember when we were talking, you said, oh, well, middles. Yeah, Mala, middles are t- a timeout. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Tell it like, what does that mean? And uh, you can get, go with the fitness analogy, but what what does that mean? Middles are a timeout. So when you first brought up middles to me, I was trying to, you know, grab the concept because it was new for me and I'd never really put a lot of emphasis or thought in middles. And so when you were kind of describing them and then you were describing your own, I thought, oh, these are kind of like timeouts. Like I played lacrosse in college and I just remember I had a lot of timeouts. I mean, a lot of them were because of yellow cards, red cards, or my (laughs) coach called them. But the fact is, is that when the whistle blew, it was because something either needed to happen, something was going to happen, or you did something wrong. <laughs> so I think that for me, timeouts really kind of play as your middle because you're getting this moment to stop, assess the situation, either the problem or the positives. Like, hey, guys, you're doing really well. I just wanted to give you a breather. Or no, you get a yellow card because you just checked that girl in the face and you're not supposed to do that. So I think it's really like a timeout for me to kind of regroup and then assess like, oh, what was I doing when I was going full speed or when I wasn't doing anything? I was out there picking daisies in the field. You know, what was I doing to have this whistle blow? And I think that's what the middles are when I decide to choose to look at them. (laughs) Got it. That's interesting too, right? So you're saying, oh, this, they... Yeah. And you're saying I got called in a lot of timeouts, whether it was a red card, whether it was a yellow card, whether it was just, oh no, like let's, let's, cre- let's re-strategize here. Yeah. Or just right? a water let's break. Come- like Courtney, you look tired. Or just like, get water. Some water. 
keep it keep it simple right yeah but it's just yeah so just having somebody ha- be the outside perspective was val- like priceless to you it sounds like in lacrosse at least just using that analogy for, yeah for me uh the coaching mentality is huge I've been coached since I was three years old I'm 31 I have a skeleton now I'm coached still so for me that's been the most consistent thing in my entire life because whether or not my family was with me or or anything like that like I always had a coach you always Every- had a coach I did I had a coach so for me it was a big deal to look at timeouts as like oh, that's like my coach or someone saying, dude, like, let's look at what just happened, whether it was good, Mm. bad, ugly, or needs to happen. Like, it was always the shift from someone saying, like, let's look at this. Like, stop. Just look at it. Have you ever wanted to not stop? Just said, no, no, no. Like, I'm playing. Yes, literally, always. I'm like, dude, why did we blow the whistle? But uh, there you go. Yeah. In life, have I ever wanted Uh, Yeah. Obviously, the good parts I think of, like, when, you know, we were crushing it, like, timelines when we were building mixed fitness. Like I just remember being like, yes, like, oh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Like this is working. We're doing it on time and we're producing and we're creating stuff that we didn't even know we could create. And, you know, there's stuff like that. And then you're you're at QVC and you're just like, oh my gosh, like here's different entrepreneurs from so many backgrounds and I'm hearing so many stories and all I want to do is like help each one. And I just want to keep, you know, having these shows so I can propel them forward. And yeah, I, but I want the good stuff to go forward, not the bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I ask because uh, the whistle, we'll just use the analogy. Uh, sometimes I don't I don't want to hear the whistle at all. I'm on a roll. I'm moving yeah. and I'm in charge. It's my timeline. It's my idea. It's my fill in the blank. And so the last thing I want is an interruption. Well, um, and if you're being a ball hog. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially if you're being a ball hog, right? Which is it's your it's your show, baby. Yeah, right. It's your game. So yeah, I, but I, I really like that timeout analogy. Is that if you always have a coach, you know there's going to be a whistle. Yeah, and that is that the whistle is the only way to the growth or the transformation. Well, because the whistle, if you think of it also as the whistle, is the moment of communication. And so if you if you actually like think of the whistle instead of being like, oh man, we're stopping. And you think of it as, okay, I'm about to communicate with my coach or my coach is about to communicate with me or my teammates are about to be like, look, I was yelling at you down the field to turn around so I could pass you the ball, but you just were not listening. Like that's when someone's like, hey, let's communicate. And so communication is huge. I mean, it's the only reason I've been able to go from point A to point B because I listened to somebody else. And I then I took what I listened to and then assessed it for myself. But like I had to listen before I could actually move forward. So the whistle is the moment of communication for me and to move for for you and to move forward. Moving forward is not possible, like literally or physically possible without that communication. In my life, yes, that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and this is your journey, right? And I just think that's so profound because, I mean, how often have we heard the whistle and not realized that that communication, that, that that's what it is? It's that it's the communication. And I think a lot of us actually know that it's communication. It's just communication we don't want to hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, that we're not re- or that we're not ready to hear or that we didn't anticipate coming. And that's when a lot of folks, a lot of people just say, ah, oh, like, I love the beginnings and I love the ends because the communication is awesome, mm-hmm. right? You can do it. You're so great. Go get them. Congratulations. You did it. Wow. It's all that stuff in between. So, and that, that's the middle. So Courtney, when you look at your middles, what have they taught you? 
I guess, yeah, if you could just sum up just some bullet, like top five ideas, or just things <laughs> where you go, the whistles, like top five things your whistles have taught you. Go well, for they've it. definitely taught me that like nothing is final. It's always a transition, always. Like no matter where you're at, it's a transition for you. So it's not final. And then also just kind of having this opportunity to decide your inventory, like mentally, spiritually, physically, I mean, emotionally. And because you you have to remember all of those tie together and they all create you and then that creates your momentum. And so if you're not taking care of your body and you're grinding every single day and you're, you know, pumping yourself with just like, you know, not good stuff that's going to help you produce. Well, it's not going to help you over time. And so I think when you have a middle, you're able to kind of be taught by all of those elements. It's like a moment to take inventory. And I think you've also mentioned that, yeah, the inventory is kind of how to just look at how, how do you measure your success, right? Definitely. Like how, how do you measure that? And then realize, I don't know, a choice, like actually using the fact that you do have a choice. You talked about that before. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the whistle for you is a, is a pl- place to just reevaluate a really what's going on. good visual to that is, is like the middle, I think of like a Sim character, right? You have got like the little green bar when he's like happy and then it goes down in the red when yeah. it's all like haven't, hasn't eaten, hasn't slept, hasn't <laughs> done the necessities of life or whatever. I when you're in the middle, the difference between you and the sim is, is no one's controlling you. Like you control yourself. So if my, if I'm in the red, that's because I put myself there. Nobody else put you there. Like you did. No one clicked the button. Yeah. And said, oh, don't eat for two days. Don't sleep for two days. You know, you did that to yourself and that's why you're run down or that's why you're maybe producing something you don't want to produce. And, and sometimes that's a lot to be with, to realize that I'm in the red because of me. Because of my choices, not because of a parent, not because of a, yes. a spouse or a partner or a child or a pet or a whatever, or a boss or a manager. It's you. And that's a lot to be with. And that's why middles can, for lack of a better word, really suck sometimes, you know, yeah. but, but then you get that lesson. Okay. So last two things, uh, what you're in the middle of a huge professional slash athletic part of your journey. Talk mm-hmm. to us about the skeleton for our community. Like just give us a, give us an update on the skeleton and just how that looks in your world. Well, obviously the Winter Olympics is 2022 and it's in about two years. But with the current situation going on, we already know summer got moved from 2020 to 2021. There hasn't been anything said about what's going to happen to 2022. But I think for me personally, it really is just focus on the now, like focus on what I can control. And that is continue to train, continue to like put in the work, continue to choose to sacrifice some sleep, to sacrifice some time that maybe, yeah, I would love to go float the river, but I really need to get a workout in before I do it. And if I can get it in early enough, then I could do both. But, you know, it's really about setting aside the time to like produce everything I've got because I've never done anything like this. You have to qualify. (laughs) Wait, how long have you been doing this? Because all we've heard about is lacrosse. Oh, yes. So since I was about 25, I'm 31, so for a while now, and it's been one of those things where have you ever been so bad at something that until you actually switched in your brain to stop focusing on how bad you are and focus on the one little thing that you can change, you yeah. actually realize you're not terrible? <laughs> I I can't resonate at all. I don't relate to the 
Yes, I have. I, I don't. I don't like being in that that position. But go no, on. No, it's a horrible position it's to be horrible. in. Horrible. It, it makes horrible. you feel like a tiny ant, and you feel like you're Stinks. not capable of anything. That's so what skeleton does for me. It constantly humbles me. It constantly checks me into place about like, no, you're not good at it. Like, be better. And so after all those years of that, like, I'm actually now like in a place where I'm actually doing well and I'm being able to learn how to manipulate my moves on the sled. And for me, it's just- How did you find the sled or did the sled find you? Oh, the sled found me a hundred percent because I can guarantee you being half Nigerian, I was not like, let me go do a winter sport (laughs) in zero degrees. (laughs) Perfect. So it found you. Yes. A hundred percent. A Olympic bobsledder who at the time wasn't an Olympian. She told me about the skeleton and said that I should try out. And instead of saying like, oh, I'm too old or I've never heard of it or I've never done that. I literally signed up to try out. (laughs) Wow. That's how how it started. What? Okay. So you're, you're, but you're, turns out you're pretty good at it evidently. Yeah. And so you're training, you're hardcore training right now. I'm hardcore training. I'm investing a lot of time, money and resources, how much I can give for the next two years. And then, and then obviously like we want to have kids and yeah, of course. Woo. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so where can we, where can we find, well, let's, let's, let's wrap up with this last question and then tell us where we can find you or what social handles or what the best way to follow you on QVC is all that good stuff. So what advice, last question, Courtney, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to answer the question? Am I on a journey that matters enough to me? I would definitely ask you, what is your end goal? You may not Mm -hmm. know it fully. You may not you know, you may know a piece of it, but I think knowing what your end goal is will help determine on whether it's enough. Because when you realize what that is, and then you play it back and you think of, okay, well, what does it take? You know, for skeleton, the end goal, qualify for the Olympics. Okay. What does that mean? There's money, there's resources, there's time, there's pain in the sense that like when you crash, it hurts, like it hurts. Mm. And are you willing to do all of that to get there? And I think, so does it matter enough? Like, are you willing to do all of those other things to get to that goal? I think that's then when you realize, like, is it enough to go through all of that? Which is why the, being able to answer, to really know what that end goal is, even if you have a ballpark, you know, yeah. or a range, it doesn't have to be immediate, especially given your journey. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. But just realizing, wow, like I didn't know everything, but I knew kind of what I, I wanted to cross off. And sometimes you have to go do the things to know, ah, like this is great, but it's not great enough, or it doesn't matter enough to me. Or you have to go, oh, oh yeah, this is not for me. Like, no, thank mm-hmm. you. Right. So it's just, it's, it's part of the journey. Yeah. And it's, it's also just saying like, did I give it my all? And Maybe it wasn't. So the point of that is, is for skeleton, I'm going to give it my all. And if I don't qualify or if I don't make it or I don't progress to the end all be all, which for some people is the Olympics, then I can at least say to myself, I did everything I could. And so that is totally fine. And so I think also there's a perspective of I have given enough for that not to be enough. And that's okay. Yeah. I think that's the main learning of this whole conversation is have I given enough to it to know that it is or is not enough for me? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really, 
That's a powerful place to land. Where can we find you? How can we find you? You can find me on QVC. If you watch QVC, you'll see me pop up there from time to time, depending on which time you're watching. And then also you can follow me on Instagram at CWeb711. So W-E-B-B 711. Mm -hmm. And then also like, please link with me on LinkedIn if you're interested in, I mean, any of the categories that I have dabbled in, I would love to connect you or, or know what you're trying to do and support you in any way that I can. But I think the biggest thing is, is, is just, you know, drop in, say hi, whether it's on Insta or LinkedIn. And I promise Courtney is the type of person that will respond. If she's saying that, she'll respond, right? Because I will. growth is a part of the journey. And uh, Courtney is an ambassador for growth big time, if you can't tell from this conversation. So Courtney, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so generous with your time and generous with your sharing. And I hope everybody in the uh, community, I, I not hope, I know that everyone in the community has found some value in this conversation. So thank you. And we will talk again very soon. 